Welcome back to another episode of United We Pray Companion. United We Pray podcast, which you may have heard of, as Austin stated, and the episode we're reviewing today is the purpose is to be biblical, helpful, clear, and hopeful. Jorge and I think that there's a lack of clarity and some things that aren't very helpful. So we're adding this companion podcast to uh, help achieve those ends. So Jorge, welcome back to the show. It's been a while since we've had a show. I want to jump right into a review of this episode from December 2021, where they review some books, season eight, episode seven, what we're reading. And they go through quite a list of, uh, of 12 books they recommend. And uh, Jorge and I are going to discuss them. Jorge, are you ready to discuss the books? I'm ready to go through the list. Yes. Excellent. Um, before I jump right in, there's 12 books listed. Uh, I have personally read three of them and I've cracked open and, and you know, spent 30 minutes on another one of them. Uh, we're going to go through the list and have some commentary. The first book is the Bible, which we all agree is the best book. The Bible does talk about uh, we are one human race. So if we're going to Genesis, there's also uh, some of my favorite passages on how the New Testament, how there's uh, neither Jew nor Greek if you're in Christ. And I think it's important for Christians to understand that if you're a Christian, your primary identity is is in Christ, not some ethnic identity. Uh, there's no biblical precedent for that. And I think it's it's very clear from the Bible with whom your allegiance is. Is it to Christ or do you have allegiances to some tribal ethnic group here on earth? And the Bible's pretty clear. It's if you're a Christian, you're a chosen race, royal priesthood. And uh, your ultimate allegiance is is with the Lord. That's a message from the Bible that's usually not heard on this podcast. Jorge, do you have any comments on the Bible regarding this? That very part of 1 Peter 2, about 4 minutes, 15 seconds in, the hosts uh, reference that. They mention that, the, the chosen race. And they have an interesting take, too, as they start off this discussion about the, the books that they're reading, that races are spiritual. I heard it listening to this episode. It's novel to me that races is a spiritual term, like spiritual races. So I just thought that was very interesting. And I think it will come up again uh, later in our discussion. I agree. Races, they do mention races, uh, but as we go further down the list of these books that they recommend, they mention ethnicity a lot. I'd say even more than race, or, or at least as much. Yeah, I think it's important to take what we know about what Christians should believe from the Bible and apply that to these secular issues, these worldly issues, and really these these unbiblical worldviews that uh, are sometimes assumed when we uh, have these different authors talk about it in their different books. But um, yeah, Bible's the most important for Christians. If you're not a Christian, and then you don't have to, then your primary identity isn't in Christ, and you don't have to obey the Bible, and then you can be, oh, I'm I'm going to define myself as like a white person or whatever. And that's important to me. And then if you're not a Christian, you can, you can do that. But if we're all having our allegiance with God's word, then there's just things we can't say because, uh, yeah, we gotta stand in God's word. It's not about Christ though. You'll, you'll get lost in the sauce. And that's why a lot of the pain from this conversation comes from because we, we adopt conclusions about from like just a worldly perspective or we're not talking about the church specifically, or we're talking about the world and it just, 
there's things that uh yeah where a lot of pain in these conversations originate when we don't when we don't uh, state our scope but let's move on to some of these other books to which I have some personal experience some I don't I don't want to comment too much on the ones where we don't have experience but we'll run through them uh, Francis Grimke is mentioned as the second book with uh, the Negro his rights and wrongs and the forces for and against him haven't read it just in general I'm a fan of books that are old especially with a guy like Grimke he was a, he was a pastor in DC and so uh, occasionally I, I love reading literature that talks about places that that I know and hearing how they've changed and yeah Grimke Christian pastor Wait, sounds like out. a good recommendation uh, we'll cut this out but yep. uh, did you skip redemptive kingdom oh I did I did. You know what? I'll go back to it. I'll, I'll breeze past it real quick. Do you have a comment on that one? On Redemptive Kingdom? Yeah. Um, only as far as uh, one thing I forgot to mention. Yeah. Um, as they introduce this episode, they talk about basically they 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 straight out they directly said it that uh, a purpose of their work is to change people's thinking and basically especially whites and they said there's different avenues for this that one of those avenues being uh catalytic events like the shooting of uh Ahmaud Arbery but but they also mention other things don't they there's catalytic events what else is there did they there's say friendships interracial relationships and it mentions interracial marriage and then books so, uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting comment. There are things that change us. Uh, the Holy Spirit changes us as Christians. But, uh, yeah, that, that was interesting. Um, do you have any more thoughts on Catholic events? Catholic events? No, my point was actually more um, they stated their purpose is to change people's thinking, uh, especially whites, in the first four minutes. I think that's pretty clear in this episode. And yeah, they mentioned Catholic events, but also throughout this whole list, they talk about friends. Like you might have a friend like this. Uh, if you don't have a friend like this, then this is a good book for you. So basically my point is um, when people say, <laughs> just made me think of this, when people say like, oh, I know, I know I'm not racist. I have a black friend, you know, I'm not racist. I have uh, an Asian friend. Uh, they're not. They don't discount that, it sounds like. I just thought that was interesting. They don't discount that. Like, if you don't have a friend like this, you want to read this book. Uh, they seem to repeat that a few times. Yeah, they also mentioned, like, these authors can be your friend, exposing you to new things. Does that um, is that congruent with, with your comment? Like, if you have a friend who's a different color, that can be a valuable relationship because they can introduce you to new perspectives or whatever, as, as well as a, a book author through through their so, book can do it so, so it's almost yeah so it's almost like they're saying like these books can fill in any uh lack of experience you have on these topics whether it's meeting people in these situations or whether you heard it from somebody if these can it's almost like remedial education like filling in those those spots that that are missing yeah i think that's a good purpose of of books an author like gathers all this information and knowledge that's on a, a topic and has a comprehensive view and you learn from it so yeah i'm a big book fan i agree that books can can change people 
I think an additional way that, that your thinking can get changed, not mentioned, that aren't, aren't about relationships or, or books or uh, seeing an event, is just like general exposure to the world. Like if you just watch TV, there's commercials that you're exposed to. There's like TV programming, TV shows. Like I think just the weight of the world and being in society and seeing advertisements that say, hey, buy this, or, or they'll show situations or Hollywood productions. They all have stories to tell. They all have agendas. And we can all change very slowly through the, just like the pressures of this world. Um, maybe it's like Satan's going around like a, prowling around like a, a lion seeking who to destroy. But sometimes I'm thinking screw tape letters right now. There's these these little pressures, little things constantly pressuring us to to consider things in a way that's not biblical but um and that way i just mentioned is is, is i think the most uh most dangerous because you don't know what's happening just because it's your local right. culture is that what or you, something is that what you would say is subliminal you don't yeah, know what's i going totally on. agree i mean sometimes yeah. they're subliminal let's let's put little frames inside of this uh video clip and and you're gonna see things that you didn't know you see because your subconscious picks it up like that. That's subliminal, but but this say, case, yeah, yeah. In this case, maybe it's subliminal, like the purpose, their uh -huh. their purpose, or why they're communicating these things. That's the subliminal part. That's the hidden part. Is the intention of these uh, advertisers on TV or whoever's affecting us? You know, I think you just your comments just struck something with me. Um, Really, when we talk about race in society, uh, the obvious thing that the mainstream media and things that we're told, we're, we're told about, like, there's police brutality is a huge problem. We may be told of, like, like Black Lives Matter is a serious organization that's fighting for real things that really need change and racism is pervasive. And yet we have the United We Pray podcast, which doesn't really ever talk about BLM and it doesn't have statements on these obvious, on some obvious mainstream issues. They do talk about like Ahmaud Arbery and saying their names. They say Breonna Taylor and a bunch of other stuff, which I think if you're a reasonable person, uh, some of these people who have regrettably died uh, in the hands of police were, were not innocent. They were resisting police. They were not being Christians. They weren't Christians. So, well, we, we, we can't know at this time. Um, but really when we're talking about how people change, it could be, it could be that the United We Pray podcast really is saying, Hey, we're, we, we want a part of this conversation. And this is the Christian perspective on this conversation and race and racism is a big topic in society. And we want to carve a little niche here and say, here's the Christian perspective and all for the purpose of influencing, of changing your perspective. And it's important that we uh, we we have the renewing of our minds, Romans twelve, and it's uh, consistent with sound doctrine. And so that's really why we're having this podcast here, because uh, trying to keep things biblical and alerting some to like some concepts and some observations that don't come from a biblical worldview. I don't know if that's yeah. As far as not, yeah, as far as looking at how often. Uh... Black Lives Matters mentioned or how often these specific events of specific people dying like Arbery or Breonna Taylor. 
how often that comes up. Uh, I don't know what to make of that. But yeah, you would think that, uh, I mean, you want, anyone would want their podcast to be a little bit uh, timeless, a little bit uh, evergreen and apply to any situation. That Mm -hmm. would be ideal, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting just how rarely uh, actual phenomena are mentioned cuz it's like, you know, how do you apply this thinking to these different events? Like what can we make of these things? But that's not really how how it's gone with these episodes. Might be a criticism, I guess. I don't know what to make of that. That the phenomena usually aren't aren't mentioned. Yeah, I th- I think some are, but yeah, like been silent on BLM and, and really like I think George Floyd is mentioned a few times uh, amongst their seasons. I'm, I'm, I know that, but a real in-depth look at what George Floyd was doing and, and whether his death was the fault of racist police system. Like they've never mentioned that he was you know, lethal amounts of fentanyl in his system. He allegedly was stealing by using a counterfeit 20. And regrettably, our society has patronized Floyd graffiti and murals making him a saint and this podcast and the yeah we pray podcast has no commentary on making him uh on, on whether he should be deified or, or at least idolized or any type of um if he's been doing anything admirable and and that in itself I don't think we can say that they're for it you know basically treating him like a like a like a saint I don't know that we can look at that silence and say that they're for it. I don't think we can do that. But I think I think what's really missing is more voices that are saying like, hey, uh, this is getting out of hand. So yeah. I don't know. I was just saying as far as, I guess, the movements of Black Lives Matter and the movements for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and uh, even uh, ESG yep. uh, in, in the corporate world. Um, also diversity, equity, inclusion deep in the corporate world um, of big business. Yeah, they are silent on that. And really, I think a lot of the books, we will get to the 12 books they mentioned or the, the rest of them. Um, but here are some books that were not mentioned by Isaac, nor Isaac, nor neither uh, Isaac nor Austin that do have, do come from Christian authors with a biblical perspective that do address the questions uh, that are pushed upon us in society today. The biggest one, I'm actually uh, I'm holding it right now, it's Vadi Bakum's Fault Lines, The Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. This book by Vadi Bakum, he's a Baptist pastor. He has uh, lived in Africa, in America, is a talented preacher. He um, yeah, he talks about uh, critical theory and the Frankfurt School and a lot of the socialist, anti-biblical perspectives and foundations to the critical race theory, critical theory, and a lot of the you know heresies that are pushed upon us. Uh, that's a really great book, highly relevant to uh, just the average American, especially the Christian in America, who says like, "Oh, how do I? How do I?" How do I deal with these topics of Black Lives Matter that are pushed upon me when I watch NFL games or just watch TV or whatever? And um, yeah, Fault Lines is a book they didn't mention. While we're here on books that they didn't mention, I think Fault Lines is a great book uh, written from a Christian perspective. Um, other books that are have a contrarian view to a lot of the 
give a perspective that's that's against the wokeness in our society today to which um I think season one, Isaac talks about, you know, you said this, I get to take your woke card. So it's it's funny how he professes he's woke in the early seasons. But um, here's a list of books that I recommend that you've actually recommended to me in the past that uh, that's on my reading list that I have read. Thomas Saul has a book called Ethnic America, talking about all these different countries and people groups and their usual journey to America uh, from Europe, Africa, Asia. And that's a yeah, great read, highly educational. Um, he Thomas Sowell also wrote Black Rednecks and White Liberals. I think you can hear that on YouTube. Um, Isaac told me that Thomas Sowell was weird when I first met him to talk about race. Like, did he expand on that? Did he say why he was? Why weird? I thought he was weird, and that was just all he said. And at the time, I was like, I, I read Basic Economics, I think, and maybe some other Sowell books, but because uh, like I I was reading books on the topic, and uh, yeah, he discouraged um works from a certain academic who is highly accomplished which is regrettable yeah. i think that's um, a i think that's a pretty unique take i don't think anyone would whether it's a lot of soul or just a little bit of soul that you're taking in pretty unique take to say he's weird like what? Yeah, like <laughs> he's, he's a legend but anyway other books to read john mcwhorter is a, another phd a university professor studies linguistics wrote a book called woke racism also highly applicable to uh just like the white privilege ideas that we see in society and uh it takes a good academic look at a lot of the policies and their effects and um yeah and then i have some other books that i've read that uh are just better perspectives i actually like charlemagne the god is a guy's on a the fraud show <laughs> yeah <laughs> he wrote a book called black privilege um but his message is like the dude's not a christian i don't think uh he just talks about how his, his honesty makes him successful but um but anyway there's there's many different people who have that guy's weird <laughs> yeah i agree but like us. he 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 says like uh you know, there, there's no one who are like, oh, I disagree with 100% of what they say. That's rarely the case with me. Um, but uh, I think that, yeah, uh, read books from different perspectives. Consider, uh, hold it to scripture. All scripture is good for um, for reproof and correction. And uh, I like to compare things to scripture. And so, yeah, you just read whatever you want and... Uh, Maybe you'll learn something from it. You don't have to believe everything, but it's good to to read books from people whom you don't necessarily agree. I've done it. Isaac's made me read some books that I've, um, you know, introduced me to and to some literature. And uh, yeah, it's not like I agree with hundred percent of it, but it's good to uh, challenge yourself in those ways. Um, so those are some of the books that I think should be recommended. That are some some are from a very evangelical Christian perspective. Uh, Jorge, I don't know if you have any other books to recommend on this topic that you'd like to share at this time. No, I think Thomas Sowell is definitely uh, worth your time um, as a non-weird option. And uh, <laughs> Shelby Steele as well. It's probably worth your time, especially White Guilt. I think that'd be a good counterbalance to this list in general, but we'll get to that, to United We Praise list. We will, yeah. Great addition. Let us... Before we get into their list, let's also talk about what it's not on their list. Uh, I'm pretty sure that some of the most popular books on the subject in the past five years 
Well, I'm pretty sure the number one is How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibrahim Kendi. This is a guy who's been paid collectively like hundreds of thousands of dollars by companies and universities to come to their institutions and talk about about white privilege and how to be anti-racist. Uh, this is probably the number one book to which the You Now We Pray podcast is silent upon. And then the second book that's very popular is White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. One time when Isaac was speaking on a Wednesday night at church, a woman talked about White Fragility and how it was a great book. And she actually brought it up twice on how it was it was a great book. And Isaac was just silent on it, no comment, which do is you, what a lot of pastors do. Sorry to interrupt, but do you think White Fragility is actually such a widely read book? Or do you think it's just in certain circles, it's widely read and, and the author is pretty good at networking and for some reason has been picked as something that especially the big business world wants to advance. Do you think it's widely read amongst Ooh. everyday people? Cause I don't know. I I'm skeptical. I know it was, it was released. I'm holding the book right now, read a portion of it and it's full of notes just cause it's so hard to read. Cause it's just full of assumptions and exaggerations and it's just, just really condemning statements about America and Americans that uh, just painting the whole picture as like some racist country. Uh, I do know the book was not popularized until the death of George Floyd. So it came out a few years prior to that. And then it really picked up when it comes to like the American population with, let's say there's 350 million Americans. I don't know, we, we can look at the total sales, but that's a good point. I, I think it's probably one of the most common books. I can't and maybe, speak to, uh, I feel like, has a quarter of the population read it? No way. Um, but we, we could look at the numbers. And, but that's a good point. Maybe I'm making it more popular than it really is. But to your point uh, as to whether this book has had impact, I mean, it might not be that widely read. You know, a quarter of the populace, not even a quarter of a quarter of the populace, I would think, oh, has dude. read it. It's probably not but, the digits. It's probably but it's affected a lot of people. It's affected... Uh -huh. Uh, the employers of a lot of people, as you know, you talked about basically a second wind for this book years after it came out, uh, someone dies and uh, George Floyd dies. And it's like a second wind as far as sales and dissemination of the book. But, um, you know, that's probably just big business trying to get out in front and and wanting you to think that they care um, <laughs> and that they're with it. Um, it's affected people even though they've never read it because it's affected their employers and the way they handle themselves. The way I totally agree. Things. Specific examples are uh, Starbucks closed down their shops for like half a day. So, so everyone mm. can go through uh, their like whiteness training. I talked to one Starbucks employee <laughs> and, and she said, they asked us the question, like, what was the time when you realized you were white? And then <laughs> that was, and then it's like, like, how is this helpful to anyone just to push racial identity on people? And for the to what end to recognize your privilege and you need to have some policy passed so you get taxed more to, to write some perceived injustice? Like, to, to what end? Um, but when another, did you another, first realize you were white, Nate? When did I do? Let me let me think about that. I uh, I don't know, probably when I was watching basketball as a child and seeing athletes like oh it's it's actually I, I don't know i have an uncle who's adopted and he's lebanese like I, I haven't cared i've just viewed people as people and i judge individuals and uh i i personally don't care and maybe i realized it when i was a kid because i recognized my my uncle mike looked different because he's as i said he's uh, adopted from far away but that that would probably be it good question jorge
Yeah, I was wondering if it happened before or after object permanence when when babies like realize things are still there, even though they they don't see them or hear them. Dude, I, I uh, <laughs> maybe some medical schools could take up this question for us. Yeah, there's yeah. probably a five million dollar research grant for it in the latest omnibus bill, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can get some of that deal flow. Who knows? Um, but another example besides Starbucks closing down shops, asking people when did they know they were white, uh, for at least the white employees. Um, like, uh, my, I have a new job. My new job is in Arlington, Virginia, headquarters for Amazon, or at least half the headquarters. And if I go into the Amazon Fresh Grocery Store, where you just scan your palm or put in your credit card, grab your groceries, walk out, rescan your, your whatever. Yeah, there's a sign that talks about how we support black communities and like if you were just some alien dropped onto earth and you're trying to understand what's going on you'd be like oh there's a sign it must be for something really important and it's it's a it's it's like a virtue signaling thing that reminds everybody who walks in that oh we're uh racially your racial identity is important and there's a racial group that is being oppressed and amazon is fighting that injustice by saying they stand with them and give a bunch of, you know, their profits to, to organizations fighting for causes that are bought into this paradigm. Um, kind of, it's kind yeah. of interesting because, you know, a big criticism of, uh, and it's obvious, you know, one aspect of racism is otherizing people, right? Yeah, that's, uh, it's, I think and, it's, uh, yeah, an episode we covered earlier. And it's interesting that, to do this targeted virtue signaling to certain demographics, you really can't do that without otherizing people. So yeah, if you walked into this Amazon Fresh and saw that sign, um, Amazon Fresh Foods, uh-huh. probably used to be a Whole Foods, but whatever. Uh, no, no, <laughs> it's, it's, you... it's, 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 it's its own grocery store. It, it is wild, yeah. But if you if you see that sign and you just have no idea what's going on, it's like, what's this other group, you know? Like, huh. What's this other group and what are Why they saying about Why do you need to stand them? with this community? What is it? It's like, let's let's homogenize a bunch of people and assume they all suffer in the same way. So, and that they're, this suffering is exclusive to this group. So and, there's this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could take a lot out of that. You could draw many conclusions from it. But I just think it just kind of hit me just now, Nate, you saying that. Um, yeah. In racist acts, there's definitely otherizing of people, but in targeted virtue signaling, it's it's like you can't do it without otherizing. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, and honestly, this is a uh, it's it's so much. It's such a paradigm. It's such a worldview. You have to start having these um, premises that, like, okay, we are we we identify with groups, and these groups are in conflict, and we need to. It's like some false gospel of redemption and reconciliation is through giving penance via these organizations trying to to right these perceived wrongs and it it's just you have to yeah you got to adopt this whole mindset whereas uh my alternative as a christian is um you know if you're a christian or we're just one in christ and uh i you know you can i can even vouch for being you know adopting the colorblind philosophy as, as imperfect as it may be. And you can, I can focus on other things in my life, like my relationship it, with the Lord, 
providing income to provide for my family <laughs> do and all of these things are way more meaningful than understanding how I might have been privileged or been the recipient of some benefits that, you know, like there's, there's, it's just costs are so high to adopt this mindset. The other mindset, perhaps not the colorblind mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just in general, I'm a minimalist philosophically. Um, well, just good design, but yeah, this is, this is just definitely making life more complex, confusing. If you start to assume that your color has yeah. serious significance. Yeah. I mean, adopting, uh, this, colorblind type of mindset uh has a lot of benefits because when you do that when you meet a new person and let's say the person is black let's say they are asian let's say they are latino let's say they're white whatever when you adopt that colorblind mindset it you don't bring any baggage you're just you're able to to see the person for who they are not bring in these uh, uh not presume things and and really one of the most it's kind of funny, like, I, I think everyone sees it, but one of the, and it's kind of common, or it can be, one of the biggest ways to offend someone is to assume something off a of generalization, and they're like, wait, actually, no, it's not like that. And you're like, oh, you know, it's like, it. you can be pretty offensive by, by not being colorblind and by walking on eggshells, and you just never yeah. know. Yeah, but there's a lot of uh, benefits. Not just it's not just a reduction in cost of time, wasting time. Uh, there's benefits. You can actually see someone for who they are if you don't bring in all these preconceptions. But yeah, I concur. I want to jump into the twelve books listed by Isaac and Austin, since a lot of the books, besides the Bible, um, do have an assumption of ethnic identity, group identity, and uh, when you start with these assumptions, like. Sometimes you can have bad conclusions and awful policy recommendations and just yeah other other bad things with when, when you talk about application of it. But let's go through the uh, the list of books that don't really have the perspective that we just shared. Um, we talked about the Bible. Um, the second book was Redemptive Kingdom Diversity by Jarvis Williams. Jarvis Williams has been on the show a few times. I haven't consumed this book. Uh, it's not on the. It's not on my short list. Do you have any comments on that one? Yeah, this starts off their list. Uh, Redemptive Kingdom. I just think it's. Um, so they say that Jarvis Williams he kind of interprets the Bible and and then um, he has includes a perspective of just many different people. So biblical theology, so to say, that is not in the traditional biblical theology mm -hmm. classes of like how to interpret scripture with with different themes. It's like a new theme. Is this book from the 2000s? Uh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. To check it out. I'm sure it's the last 10 years. Got it. So yeah, that gets in, That gets us into the part of books that really we wouldn't uh, align with. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of, uh, there's a book I saw at Walmart, and you've, you've probably seen it too. It's uh, Women of the Bible for Women of Color. And oh, it's just I... Bible stories, <laughs> but it talks about how like, you know, different women, like, put them as, well, let, allow me to get to the, I'm just checking the internet right now. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen that, because I haven't, uh, I've set foot in a Walmart probably one or two times in the last four years. Okay. Yeah, like, the Bible's for everyone. Anyway, but this is, this is like, stuff that I see in society when I go to Walmart, and I would like, okay. uh, I would like uh, a pastor to help explain 
what the Bible says about having some intersectionality of women who are colored and, and let's interpret the Bible through this intersectionality lens. Like that's what would be really helpful and would make things more clear to me is just a person who is, you know, living in society. And I see this type of stuff at Walmart. That would be a really useful topic to hear from pastor Isaac and, and, and what a, what a Christian should think of this. Um, but anyway, let's continue to go through some other books. The next book mentioned is uh, Francis Grimke title, uh, The Negro, His Rights and Wrongs, The Forces For and Against Him. I haven't read this. I think Francis Grimke sounds like a great guy, a DC pastor, African-American guy. I think uh, reading old books from old periods of time, especially like, I, I personally want to get into it maybe, you know, since I'm a DC resident, maybe need to see if he mentions any any local hotspots back in the day. Uh, but yeah, sounds like a good book. Well, he was a friend um, of Frederick Douglass, they mentioned. Uh, yeah, I think there were contemporaries. Um, Francis Grimke, I, I forget exactly where his church was. Frederick Douglass lived down the hill and, and then in my neighborhood um, at the end of his life. We'll, we'll get to Frederick Douglass momentarily, but yeah, seems like a good book. Uh, These were four sermons from the late 1800s? Yeah, there were at least there were a collection of sermons from from uh, African-American pastor. So yeah, seems cool. Nice recommendation. Appreciate that. Maybe I'll... If it's convenient, I'll get. A, I may get into it in the future. Um, the next book is New Reformation by Shai Lin. There is an episode where Shai talks about this. You name, I have it. May have an episode on this later because uh, they, they they have an exclusive. Um, yeah, time dedicated to it while he gets interviewed. Can't comment on it. I ha- I can comment on the book written by his wife, which. Um, I'll, yeah, well, I won't comment on that now because they didn't mention his wife's book. We'll go to the next book. Oh, and Shailen, great rapper, good lyrics, good beats. And United, uh, yeah. United We Pray said one of their main points, I guess, about this book was that the author uh, emphasizes that diversity should be seen as an opportunity, not as a challenge, which I guess is the usual view. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. Uh, my, my concern with the commentary from this episode was um, how Shailen was an experience. I, I wrote down experiential ambassador, ambassador of a black man in a white church. I, I refuse to label churches by their color, black or white. Like my church personally, it's 900 members, and uh, and like yeah, okay, I, I know, I know. There's dozens of Koreans. Um, there are a hand. There's at least there used to be a lot of like Chinese students because of the colleges in town. Uh, if you want to call, there's like white people. White is probably the majority. I think that's kind of silly. I think it's uh, I, I think white black is really so limiting. Like within white, you have all these different European ancestries and and some cultures. With black, you've got you've got Africans, African immigrants who are great people, and then you have those who aren't who are black, but they're African Americans, non immigrants. Like it is, it's just a unnuanced conversation. If you just go with demographics and color. It's just so yeah. to me. It's yeah, not useful. But but these guys said it and they mean it. And probably a lot of people do see it this way. Um but yeah, I think when we just start using phrase like, oh I go to a white church. Like <laughs> what what is a white church? It's like fifty one percent white or or like I live in a can we define these things please? I think definition is it's just one not of the first things. It's just not thinking. so meaningful really. But um, doesn't anyway. doesn't say doesn't say anything about your beliefs if you just no, doesn't. tell people what the people you 
associate with what they look like. It doesn't really say a thing about your beliefs. Yeah, and sometimes these phrases like white church, I don't know what that means to different people. And as yeah, anyway. But but almost Not helpful. certainly just means predominantly that the members are white. Yeah. That's it. But then what does that mean, Jorge? Does that mean they're all racist? It means that, that they're means? focusing they're on a distinction that isn't relevant, but it's what they're focusing on in large part. Um, That's what it means yeah, to me. Yeah, I, I would believe that. I, I guess maybe some people would argue, Shai Lin would argue that is relevant. But uh, anyway, um, it's, it's it's a term that deserves uh, scrutiny. scrutiny. <laughs> Next book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Yeah, <laughs> deconstruction. Um, I think uh, I've read multiple Frederick Douglass books. As mentioned, he did write three autobiographies. He's a very prolific guy. Um, I think it's a good read. It's a short read. I did the audio book. Amazing narrative. story of, yeah, I've read it. Narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, right? Yeah. And he's got a bunch of books. Lately, there was a, a giant biography about him that's that's pretty popular. Mm -hmm. um, you have to wait for it for a long time at my local but, library. But, yeah. but this one's an autobiography. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote multiple ones. Yep. Yeah, they said three. Like, wow, what are you doing? You got three autobiographies? That's yeah, weird. Like, <laughs> some people criticize. Like, Frederick Douglass was divorced, remarried a few times. And, like, he's, uh. like, I think he was a fine guy. He was an incredible orator. Um, I think, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if he was, like, a great Christian, but I'm, I'm thankful for him. He, is uh, his story, I'd say, get the book, read it. Um, also, another, just because, uh, Books that I, I'd recommend to add to the list mentioned earlier, uh, like uh, the book by Booker Washington, Booker T. Washington, great book about his how he started Tuskegee and just the process of how he designed that school. And he had the students build the buildings and just an incredible inspirational work of cool. how he started Tuskegee and worked with uh, he was in like Hampton, Virginia. So there's some other relevant geography for for me, at least. But um, great book on a contemporary of Frederick Douglass that uh, I, I, I'm going to add to my list. But when I just think of books that are over a hundred years old, 150 years old. Um, yeah. Frederick Douglass, get the audio book. It's short. It's a great story of how he like pretended he was a free man and was in a sailor suit and sailed out of Baltimore. And it, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good thriller escape story. And so, yeah, I totally recommend that. Uh, the next book is the warmth of other sons by Isabel Wilkerson. Well, um, yeah. You have sorry, time? sorry. Is this the one about the Great Migration? It is. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I read it. I uh, I talked to Isaac once or twice, and then Isaac told me, "Hey, uh, we're not going to talk anymore until you read this book." And the warmth of other sons <laughs> is humongous. It's like four hundred pages, and that's a tactic Isaac's used with other men at my church who want to figure out what he's saying about race and if it's biblical. He'll he'll give people books to read. So they don't come back and talk to me until you read this. And then I did read it. And then when I went to go talk to him, he's like, I don't know what you meant by having a book club. So like, uh, like he just made me read this huge book and then we didn't get to talk about it afterwards. And it's like, okay, I guess you really do want to talk or, or he didn't really <laughs> want to talk, but uh, the book was fine. Isabel Wilkerson's written a few other books too. She's, she's yeah, successful author. Some of the stories that stuck with me uh, were there's, there's just a small paragraph on Dr. J, the amazing basketball player, okay. like had some, his parents had some serious discrimination. Like they weren't allowed to buy gas and stuff. And it was just interesting. Like weren't allowed to what? Sorry. Like Dr. J's parents had some like incident yeah. where they weren't allowed to buy gas or buy uh, gas, gasoline. I'm, okay. I am not, it's a fuzzy memory, but it was just, it was cool to read. And like, wow, these are like heroes of mine. 
and just the reading about the obstacles that their parents had to overcome um, living in the South. So like the books, yeah, it's, it's fine. It was, uh, was very hard for black people, freed slaves uh, and, and their children to, to make a living in the South. So they're, they, they moved, they moved to California. One of the stories is about a guy who went to California, other people who went North to New York, other places. Um, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it. Some, she's a good writer. Uh, some sad stories. Like one guy, the guy who went to California was a successful doctor and like, just, you know, had a big party at the end of his life. And like, it, there's, it was okay. It wasn't, I mean, I, I forced myself to finish it and it was, yeah, just stories about some people who, yeah, who moved to, for more opportunity and they, they did it. So, um, it was fine. I think it's not, I think it's kind of dumb to call, call this period the, um, the biggest historical event no one knows about. That's just dumb one. Like, of course people know about it and like, globally i think there's way more it's it's hard to say like this is the most it's just a dumb thing to say i think what yeah is, when what, you what say is this is the most whatever you're, you're going no one knows on about it of course people usually. know about it there's a successful book about it it's probably to be more accurate but i don't know but it's not I mean, something i think about too often it's not something i think it would be interesting to learn more about the history um uh, especially uh, over what period of time did this happen? How many different waves? Um, what were the the raw numbers of people moving? And and was it advertised? And like word getting back from the people that did make that move? I wonder what what kind of messages they were sending back. Like this is great, or no, it's not what you think. To other people considering to to migrate. Um, those are some questions I have that I think would be interesting to learn about that history. Yeah, you could you could read the book. I think that a lot of those questions are answered in the beginning, uh-huh. and um, like it, it was over like a seventy year period, and it wasn't like okay. there's a. I was thinking was it was like, like a, 15 a company or that was 20. advertising, "Hey, great migration moving company" or whatever. No, it, it no, was just but... like it's just in some certain southern states. There, there's there there was uh, like systemic racism from I wonder... the local government. I wonder if Southerners like hyped it up, maybe, you know, I wonder, maybe. I'm just really curious who like encouraged it. Or... Yeah. I just like life just well, came it... less, more, less and less tolerable. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, and it was real. And it was, uh, it was, let's just say like real oppression and restrictions faced by African-Americans in the American South during that time compared to today where, uh, yeah, that, that doesn't exist. Okay. So, so America. reading that book, you're pretty sure it was like grassroots, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it wasn't. I, I, I outside... so. Okay, okay. Yeah, All right. and everything you talked about, I think, is probably standard with with anyone who migrates. That's uh, you know, like families get broken up, people go, and they're like, "Hey, I made it. It's okay. I got a space for you. I'm gonna send for you now." Um, That's yeah. I'll yeah, my know. questions, I guess, maybe they were just kind of uh, influenced by the way I see the world now. That so many things are hyped and promoted, and I don't know. Huh. All right. Anyways, moving on. Maybe we'll continue. The next book is "Building a Multi-Ethnic Church" by Derwin Gray. Uh, I think Austin claims that ethnic unity is not an optional good; it's an imperative. He mentions the problem of, say, a church has five grand. Do they send it to a pregnancy center or to a missions agency? Um, I hope they answer that question. If it's pregnancy <laughs> center, mostly uh, helps. Uh, single mothers who are black and missions agencies, depending on where you're going, it's it's likely that 
it's like your missions agency only goes to white people or something. I, I don't know. I haven't read the book uh, at this point. It's, it's not on my list, but um, I think, I think unity is, I think the unity is important. And, but the uh, eth- yeah. So yeah, they give this dilemma of where to send uh, $5,000 of discretionary in the budget. But, you know, they give you that dilemma, but then they say, they don't give you that, that answer. answer. The complete hypothetical, I guess. But, but Dr. Gray, he does say that ethnic unity, that that's the thing that's imperative. That's the thing you can't leave out. I just thought that was really uh, convenient. And I think the gospel's the, the imperative and like going and make disciples of all nations. Like, like that's an implied task, really. Like, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't see this as I don't see this in such a benign way. Like my my thing is the thing that you can't leave out. And when it when it's this, uh, yeah, I don't see that in a positive light at all. It looks looks really convenient to me. Yeah, just in general, like building a multi ethnic church. I, I think you should build a church, and uh, I'd like to think a church is in a neighborhood. It should reflect the neighborhood, and if that's a homogeneous. Ethnically, I think that's that's fine. Um, lately, I heard one of my pastors say he wants to have a multi-ethnic church. This is a guy who's a Korean pastor. Uh, Korean churches historically are, are very homogeneous, and there's definitely a it's like a community center to to be to, you know to oversimplify. Uh, in, in some places, I've been to you know, at least one Korean church in, in Nebraska. Um, hmm. But yeah, I think what's important is like having a healthy church and uh, out of the people who follow the nine marks of a healthy church, um, I think diversity is not a healthy mark. So uh, they should focus on expositional preaching, sound doctrine, missions, and uh, other things that have, have uh, you know, biblical direction. Um, ready for the yeah, next not, one? Not healthy or unhealthy, just not mentioned, probably. Um, you mean not mentioned? What do you mean? It wasn't in that list of nine? Oh, yeah. Multi- no, no, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's right, what you're well, getting at, yeah. Yeah, it's not a, it, it's, there's no, but anyway, maybe the book says, makes the case that the Bible wants ethnic unity, and, and that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, of course, like, it's a part of unity, you know, we're, we're all one body, you can't have the different parts of the body saying, I don't need you, and ethnicity is a part of that, and regrettably, well, it's uh, being made a big issue, and it's, I don't, I don't believe it is. I'm, I mean, if, if we really were following the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, uh, and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We, you would see all kinds of people, but but I mean, it's like, are you going to, let's say, yeah, you're in a neighborhood. Are you going to avoid and ignore all these people on your way to going out and getting a certain other type of people? Like, kind of, kind of reminds me of. Uh, I guess we don't know for sure if it's true or not, but you remember those books that used to be published at the end of campaigns um, about kind of like the inside stories. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, the campaign strategist. Halpern, right? Halpern? I I think I've seen multiple ones from different presidential campaigns. Okay, but anyways, it makes me remember (laughs) from the book that came out after the 08 presidential campaign, Uh um, (laughs) McCain-Obama. There was an episode there where they saw that uh, Michelle Obama setting up the backdrop of a speech for Barack Obama. I think it was like uh, getting the people, yeah, kind mm-hmm. of assembling the people to stand behind him. Yeah. I, I don't remember what she said. I think she she yelled out like, we need more white people. <laughs> <laughs> like just to, to set the background 
the way they wanted it. We need more <laughs> white people. <laughs> no. So yeah, like if you're going out of your way, like just be real. Just be real. Just take the Great Commission seriously. Um, All nations. So that's yeah. kind of my point. But uh, yeah, that's that's why like watching TV. It's not you're not reading God's word. You're just you're just getting fed what the whatever whoever made the program the director is is putting for you and usually usually precisely not god's word yeah all there's just all the lgbt influences all the gay characters i i haven't done the math on this but like as, as stated before and you know we pray uh african americans make up less than 10 percent of the population now and i'm pretty sure they're overrepresented on uh on screen for mainstream programming um so what you're seeing is not reality it's 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 scripted. It's in a studio, and there's agendas. And we just need to be intentional about what we consume. And you need to, uh, yeah, take take all these thoughts captive. Um, so anyway, we'll go on to the next book. I just, uh, yeah, um, we have American Apartheid, uh, which claims to be. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of statistics, which I like. Um, Isaac said something that I I like. He says, uh, well. I like the idea. He says, everyone has their set of statistics that leaves them remaining in a predetermined camp, which, uh, which I, I think is, I think, I think it's accurate. Um, I think that the statistics that you use are important. You should have shared statistics. And really the the question is scope. Like what is your focusing on? For example, he's mentioned it in some, he, he, he dismissed it once. Like we could talk about black on black crime and uh, he never really has though. Like if you want to talk about who's killing not. black people. It's black people, at least for DC. Um, usually, the the suspects and the victims over ninety percent of the time are always always black. And uh, if you're going to get shot, it's multiple times, like tens of times, more likely to be done by a black person, not a police officer. Although back to statistics, back to yeah. statistics, uh, what yep. percentage of DC is black? Uh, forty-eight percent. Really, only forty-eight um, percent? Yeah, it used to be. It, it like so. There's just the because... surrounding area, like Arlington, Virginia, even included, or. Uh, no, like for the district itself is, it's the population is declining. It's less than seven hundred thousand people now. It was oh. close to seven fifty. Um, Montgomery County, the Maryland is uh, is might be a majority black. Virginia is pretty diverse. There's different community immigrant communities and stuff, but it, it, it's pretty diverse overall. Um, and there's there's data on this because it's it's studied a lot. Regrettably, the policies implemented don't don't decrease it, but usually it's um yeah. It's another topic. I have studied it, uh, but we all have our own set of statistics, but we need to acknowledge what the right question is and what the right set of data is. And if the question is, if who's the biggest threat to your life, it's not a police officer. Well, I mean, um, yeah. depending on how dishonest someone is, um, you know, you can lie with statistics and that's another book oh, yeah. that we've seen Huge. Bill Gates uh, directly or indirectly promote. But uh, depending on how dishonest you are, you can attach any narrative, any false narrative to a pair of statistics, uh, just depending how dishonest you are. Like I That's said. true. Like you have the numbers and if you're not. What do you make a, of them? Yeah. If you're not doing a controlled random experiment, uh, you're really just guessing like, why are these disparities existing? And I, I think it's fine to guess. And it, it's just good to know, like, hey, maybe these are the reasons there's these disparities. But you got to. Um, but there's so many ways to manipulate and even like what the data you provide. Sometimes you just give a bunch of data that's meaningless, like with COVID data, like, oh, look at all the positive cases and uh, all these people. Like, I don't care about the cases. I care about the deaths. 
And like they don't and, even provide vaccine data uh, for DC at least <laughs> after effects. But anyway, data is important. We all need to have the same data and, uh, and determine what is the right data. And that's what uh, I wish Isaac would have acknowledged. Each, each person has to be discerning these things that uh-huh. they're fed, these statistics and the false narratives that come with them. Each person has to discern and, and know to a large extent who they are, their identity. Because if you're emptying yourself of all that, like, trust me, there's someone that wants to fill the void. They're going to tell you who you are and they're going to tell you what to make of these things. So uh-huh. we have to have uh, defenses against this. You got to be discerning these things. You got to think critically. I, I concur. And uh, asking the right questions. What is the right question? What is the right data? This is a book uh, I, I looked at the author. Seems to be a, an academic. I uh, American Apartheid would be the closest book on my short list to consume. Hmm. Um, just because I, I, if I'm going to read literature, I don't want to read Robin D'Angelo's. Let me just make all these statements about America. But I, I want to read some academic who's providing data. Uh, ideally, you know. Ideally, like original research or whatever, or at least peer-reviewed research. But um, yeah, I appreciate books that that have data that, that align to the facts because I, I believe you know it's, it's how you find truth. You know, you, you line up the facts, but uh, and hopefully you have the right scope. And as we've discussed this entire episode, sometimes the focus is not in the correct scope you're focusing, and because you're avoiding important issues that are staring us in the face. Uh, you know theoretically, as just Americans. Um, we'll go to the next book, Beyond Racial Gridlock. I don't have any comments on that. I haven't read this one. Um, now, don't you get any comments on that? Well, I thought it was interesting uh, as Austin, well, Austin mentioned this book. I don't remember if it was Austin or Isaac. It was Austin, yep. That, um, that made this specific point about the book, um, that, it, that it's not about beating people over the head. It's about persuading them on these topics. And I thought that was interesting because in the next book recommended by Isaac, mm-hmm. uh, How to Think, yep. uh, it kind of alludes to the same thing. Like um, the How to Think talks about how to persuade people, how to be, how to woo people. Is that what you're saying? So this is my bed right here. But at 1648, uh-huh. I'm just going to play it real quick ideologically or reactively and that's so often what happens in this conversation so it's a short little book um and i love what one of his endorsers said about the book i can't even remember who it was but i'll not forget this comment in this book alan jacobs takes you by the hand and not by the throat there you go alan jacobs takes you by the hand and not by the throat so couple these two statements in beyond racial gridlock it's not about beating people over the head it's about persuading them and in how to think Alan Jacobs, the author, takes you by the hand and not by the throat. To me, this is like evidence that it's usually mob tactics. It's usually extortion in this area, in this business of uh, racial politics and racial grievance and changing people's thinking on race. It's like no patience. It's just like, this is how it is. This is how it is. <laughs> like mm. That's what stood out to me in this whole list. It's it's, a, it's as if this is a, a competition or a game, and there's different strategies of being angry and emotional and forceful, or being quiet and gentle, and you know being more academic. And uh, and I think for some causes, it, it is a fight, which there are different tactics. But for this cause, I uh, unlike the original question of like is uh, 
is racism a serious issue in the American church? I think that what we have is a group of thought with shown by a bunch of books that are sympathizing with unbiblical Marxist ideologies. And then I think you have a more biblical, we'll call it a conservative view, um, that is, you know, that doesn't have the education system on its side, doesn't have Hollywood on its side, doesn't have um, Democratic Party on its side. And uh, it's like these are like, hey, these are these are little strategy books to help you win this game. And uh, unlike the civil rights fight in the southern states, uh, like 50 years ago, um, I think this game is, yeah, I don't think it has a worthy cause. Yeah, in general terms, looking at the books on this list, I would tend to right off the bat care to read more uh, the older books and not uh-huh. the newer books. I'm with you. And I mean, the current of this whole thing, like let's say you're in the water, mm-hmm. the, the current is desirous that you think a certain way about race, that the problem is a certain magnitude, and they would like to have you think the way they want. And what I see in our time is usually coercion, is usually abrasiveness, is an eagerness to, they don't respect you. And they're counting on you not having an identity, not having thoughts of your own to just install an identity in you. (laughs) Like, that's that's what I see. Like, it even makes me think of um, in Nebraska and at the University of Nebraska, they were uh, ethnic specific, ethnicity specific and race specific scholarships. And the second year mm-hmm. I was there, actually, how I met you, Nate, in the union was in the union. Yes. Yeah. I've heard this. <laughs> was, yeah, it's a good story. There was a uh, initiative on the upcoming, in the upcoming election to get rid of such scholarships, you know, uh, uh-huh. of that sort of discrimination by race and ethnicity and benefits uh, that way and public uh, institutions. And at the time, I was actually on the side trying to convince people to keep these sort of scholarships uh, to vote against this uh, initiative on the upcoming ballot. Uh, we did a lot of stuff. We had a lot of like breakout sessions, try to figure out what we we're going to do. We had like a, I manned a booth in the, the student union. And that's what I, I think where I met you, Nate, uh, uh-huh. the first time you're kind of hanging around, kind of interested in. Uh, the brochure we were passing out uh-huh. and also the other girl came by and grabbed a, a brochure angrily and left <laughs> uh, but anyways we won't mention her by name but anyways <laughs> um, yeah I was on the side of keeping these scholarships of keeping this discrimination uh, to be to be honest with you I mean differential treatment some scholarships that exist for one kind of people and one that didn't for another kind of people. But anyways, in one of these sessions where we got together, um, our side, the uh, a professor came in mm-hmm. and the whole theme of the night was like how to talk to people about this, okay? Mm-hmm. How to talk to people about this. And this is the first time I ever heard the word white privilege. Oh, wow. So I thought this was about like how to relate to people, how to persuade people, how to bring them in, how to create rapport with people, you know, how to convince them that these scholarships were worth keeping. But in comes this professor who's supposed to bring us wisdom. And she said, like, yeah, we need to 
address this issue of white privilege. And I tell you what, man, when I heard that, I was so angry when I heard that. I was like, are you trying to sink this idea of ours to keep these scholarships? Are you trying to sound as abrasive as possible, accusing white people of just being handed stuff? And it was weird. And I brought this up. I I don't remember what I said, but I raised my hand. And I, I think the gist of it was basically like, are you serious? White privilege? This is what we're going to push. This is the term, monology you want us to use. And the the lady that assembled us, that was really kind of leading this effort, kind of guiding us students, she defended this professor and said, basically, you know, like, oh, she's been a professor a long time and yeah. we need to value her her input here something like that but anyway this was 2008 i believe um but man that was the first time i heard that white privilege and i mean since then man it's just been from my perspective the circles that i've interacted with it's been abrasive it's been coercion it's been extortion and i think that's been most people's experience so anyway these two most recent books on the list that that you mentioned uh beyond racial gridlock and how to think the comments about them, about how these are different books, different approaches. It's pretty much for me an admission, even from United We Pray, that this whole racket, this whole business, I'm just going to call it, is based on those kind of mob tactics, extortion, pressure, yeah. sales. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, mm -hmm. it's not cool. It's influencing. There, I even... said it. I said my opinion. Yeah. Are you happy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what you share, there's so many little things, so many little observations I have in your, in your story. And I, I would add like what I referred to at the very beginning, like there's, there's just all this influence pushing on us all the time. It may be coercion. It may be light. It might be, you know, Amazon putting up a sign that says, Hey, we, we support black communities or whatever, or that, watching the NFL. And I've mentioned this before. It's so different from when I was watching it as a kid with like it says uh end racism in the end zone now and it's because i mean it's just it's, it, it's everywhere the nfl which i despise i mean i like to watch the football games but i despise the nfl how's that for cognitive dissonance <laughs> yeah. but anyways the nfl used to be a football league made up of football teams with pr departments but now it's a pr department that happens to have football teams it's like a side thing it's really doesn't appear to be their focus. And I like to circle back to my story yeah. of uh, being in that room where we heard this professor talk to us. Yeah. So I have one uh, Caucasian considered white parent. And yeah. in that room were a lot of us in that uh, with that background. But anyways, I looked around. Uh, I looked next to the girl that I, I went to this thing with. I looked at her and she wasn't happy about the white privilege term either. I mean, I looked her, I was not alone. And this thing, this movement that hopefully is dying out, it was doomed from the start when they went that route of white privilege and berating white people. It was doomed from that point on. I really think so. But I was kind of there. It was kind of weird. It's like I was there at the beginning in a sense. It's in the water now for sure, white privilege. But I only started hearing about it more big time since 2015 but it was already out there in 2008 i guess uh -huh. in academia 
Yeah, and even I would um, Fault Lines, the book I mentioned earlier, it's got a great history of like the Frankfurt School and how a lot of the stuff just goes in academia, and then and then it, it maybe might surface in 08 was your experience when you saw it, but uh, but definitely now it's mainstream and it is it's everywhere. Uh, but I think another but it's thing doomed. That, it's doomed. It's not going anywhere. I, I don't know, man. If you want something to thrive, you're going to make friends. You're going to gain adherents that promote something because they believe in it, because they like it, because it's true. You're not going to grow something by taking people hostage who aren't your friends, uh, berating them, constantly having them say, I'm bad, I'm bad, you're good, you're good. No, it's just it's doomed to fail, man. There's no real oxygen there. You seem to differ. You don't think this is this movement is dying out? I I don't, I don't think so. I think it's good to um to determine like we have the idea. Is this idea true? Is is, is the most important question for me. And then there's the uh, the marketing tactics. Whether it's you should be be browbeating people or, or using authoritarian force, or if you should be doing the how to win friends, influence people, like soft skills for your idea. For me, the most important thing is is this idea true? Is it biblical? And depends on what we're talking about. If it's should we uh, should we discriminate in order to right perceived current injustices or, or real past injustices? I mean, like th- those are the questions we need to ask. But uh, but really, uh, for me, I, I think I think it's still going to be I, I think our society is just being more and more progressive and we're going to have to deal with this more and more. But wasn't it even Dr. King Jr. that said hate is a very inefficient fuel or something or that it burns well, out quickly? Yeah, he said only love can uh, can do things. There's in, in, in D.C. There's a lot of yard signs that quote this. Uh-huh. I'll pull up later. Um, but anyways, what I was saying, it presupposes that what you're promoting is true. I mean, OK, yeah, you can't right, put you, you can't yeah, put you. lipstick on a pig like it's a pig. So what I was saying presupposes that what you're promoting is true. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't dealing with with the uh, integrity, like the, the truthfulness of your idea. But really, for these last two books, one is really database, and the other one was claiming to be just like, you know, more of a, a friendly, critical thinking type book titled "How to Think." That was the that was our original our original point. But I would like to say, uh, with your personal story, like you were pushing for a a policy. It was, it was a might have been a referendum or an initiative in Nebraska on scholarships given to certain ethnic groups like the Supreme Court in 2022 saw at least two cases on affirmative action because places like Harvard and other colleges are discriminating against Asians and white people. And uh, is that fair? You know, so these are the real questions that are very important. I'd love to hear Isaac and Austin talk about them because these are ending up in our legal system and they truly have to deal with justice. And is it right to tell someone who qualifies for something that like, nope, a less qualified person is going to be admitted into this program because of their skin color or because of some Uh ancestral injustice that probably didn't actually occur to them may have like, these are the real questions that I like, which is why I like looking at the court cases like, is, is America systemically unjust? Look at the court systems, see what things are happening. And there you won't have podcasters talking about stuff. You'll have lawyers and law and discovery and facts and a jury. That That's where... Well, there's a lot of BS, too. <laughs> uh, but in <laughs> but, the courts, there's less of it. Uh, I don't know. I, 
it's real pretty pessimistic about that sure but um, actually, you're, you're right. There are, we have a system. It's not perfect, but I'm grateful for the system, and I'm not going to poo-poo our system. Yeah, no system's perfect, but um, so I'm, I'm grateful when these questions of systemic racism end up in the courts, because then we can stop conjecturing and we can we can look at the facts as a society and in a in a place with order and uh, a system to to review. But yeah, American apartheid apparently is trying to convince you with certain data and that uh on, on geography and the creation of of certain areas of town being for certain people i'm probably most likely to read this one how to think by alan jacobs alan jacobs actually uh endorsed isaac's talking about race book so they're i guess they both say nice things about each other's books maybe i'll get into it i like critical thinking it's not on my short list but yeah i appreciate them sharing that do you have any other comments on american apartheid or how to think besides oh. i think these are just two books just trying to convince people uh, to uh, accept that America is racist, at least for no. American apartheid. I think I, I can't say that. I, I really don't know what the content of the how to think book is American apartheid. I think they described it. For me, even these last two books, these most recent two books from the list that we mentioned, yeah, they still don't eclipse for me. Uh, I think the one I'd most likely read from their list, their editions are, the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. I just think it'd be yeah. cool to go back to that time period and read about what his life was like. Or read at least one of them. Like, cause like, I think they're pretty similar actually. Yeah. He's three autobiographies. Like after he became free, he started a newspaper. He was a big speaker, but anyway, yeah, go ahead and read it. I think, um, other books that weren't mentioned like Angela well, Davis or, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, Nate, what about these last two books that they have on their list? Oh, excuse me. We have, oh, Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love. Austin's old boss wrote it. He did plant a bomb in the South and as a Klan member 50 years ago. He went to jail, escaped. And uh, I, I flipped through the book for a period of time. He got, sh I think he got shot in the leg when he was trying to escape. Mm. But yeah, when you think of the book, like, oh, man, Klan member, like, the clan is alive and it's, and I, I think that, yeah, uh, apparently, yeah, this, this dude was a part of it. I do not know the current numbers for the Ku Klux Klan. That's a, it's a topic that we've discussed a little bit prior on, um, on our Ortland episode. I'd like to um, put in my guess before we check the number, whenever oh, we check yeah. the number. Well, I'm we guessing make... it's less than 5,000, the I'm, membership. I'm, I'm certain like the clan is used to be the militant wing of the democratic party and they you know, hang black people who are voting and uh, they, yeah, we, we, yeah, we discussed them. Uh, people can listen to our episode with, uh, with Ray Ortland for uh, the research we did for that episode. Anyway, neat book. The guy's a pastor now. Um, I flipped through it. I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm sure, sure it's fine. Uh, relatively recently written. Any other comments on that one? Nope. Okay. The final book is race in place. David Leong, uh, they comment about it. So D David about... Leon or David Lee Young? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. They mentioned it's about structural racism. Sounds like another geography type book. Haven't read it. I, I do know a uh, interesting topic. Haven't read either of these books. I don't want to comment too much on them. I, I know a few things about real estate and neighborhoods, but yeah, I, I, I have no no comment on that. That's uh, edifying for our handful of listeners. But um, yeah, those are the books. Right. 
good review. Uh, we did review at the beginning the books that we do recommend. But yeah, I think I, I thought like books that weren't mentioned, like there are there are some books by some radicals. Like, should I read W.B. Du Bois? Du Bois? I have read him. He says some things I like. He says some things I don't like. He's a historical person who uh, he's got some influence on this matter. I started the NAACP, which is an organization which I have some questions on, which a lot of people have questions on. There's a lot of just obvious questions about current organizations that deal with race, which I wish would get answered. But instead, yeah, United We Pray just claims to focus on Christians and claim there's racial struggles in the church. And I really assumed, uh, like at least to address some of the, the main topics they do talk about. They do say the names of a few people, which I'm not convinced are, are totally innocent people, especially Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. The Maud Arbery case has been uh, through the court system at this time. Uh, but anyway, my point is, uh, I don't think I have too much more um, for this episode. So yeah, so those are the 12 books. Uh, we talked about books to recommend in the beginning. Some other very popular books that I wish would get addressed as a how should a Christian approach the things said and how to be anti-racist. That would be very helpful. That would make things a lot more clear. And uh, I want to know if that's biblical, that things that I wish would happen. Jorge, do you have any other final comments? It's great to record this episode. We'll do it again sometime. Any final comments? I'll just take something from the prayer that Isaac prayed at the end. He asked for help to not be slaves to ideologies and he said uh, like tom was the author of the yeah. consumed by hate redeemed by love uh-huh. that would be good that we're not slaves to yeah. certain ideologies but we got to have our eyes open uh to see whether we are or not and not just accuse others of having that problem which we may very well have ourselves so yeah, you nice. mentioned you mentioned racial struggles uh yeah, there actually are racial struggles for people. I mean, it's another attack vector, uh-huh. but it's an attack vector making us vulnerable, making us hate each other, but really on a criterion that shouldn't even matter, you know, our skin color yeah. should only matter uh-huh. as, as far as how much SPF 40 or SPF 30 you need when you go to the <laughs> beach. Not, not for much more than that, really. Uh-huh. Uh, not for a whole lot more than that. I, uh, I I personally uh, agree with that. I, I we know people who don't agree with that, but um, but yeah, I think like my greatest fear is like this podcast, uh, the you know we pray podcast, isn't helpful because it's just feeding into the false premise that your your race and your ethnic identity matters if you're a Christian. It significantly matters, and it doesn't. And I know race is used to is used to like. I, th- I think like my fear, this is my theory, is used to control people, say, hey, you're this color, and that means this, these things about you, and you should behave in these certain ways because of your group identity, and it's just used to what? manipulate people and control people, and you used to like look at the riots of 2020, it's used to just influence people and control people, when really, if you're a Christian, your identity is in Christ. So my fear is what? just adding to the content of racial identity it's not helpful. And uh, yeah, it just can well, have if you horrible had, results. If you had uh, accurate diagnoses and good uh, ideas for remedies for whatever problem there is, yeah. that would be good. 
I agree. But I mean, I insist, I insist on the word attack vector. It's uh, uh this whole racism thing today. It's another attack vector. I mean, if we really knew our identity and like the devil, it doesn't suit him. The devil can't get a hold of us if we actually understand our identity and what we're supposed to do. I mean, we really would set the world on fire. And this thing, it's another attack vector just to distract us so that we don't know our identity and our relationship with God that we're supposed to have and what we're supposed to do. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, no, it's a distraction at the least. And it's a uh, like lethal control mechanism and to take you away from the Lord and cause damage at worst. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, good comment. So that was season eight, episode seven episode. Thanks for listening.